something that struck me in uh, thinking about Proverbs this week has been how hungry we all are for advice. Absolutely starving. We look for it everywhere. We want instruction everywhere. The internet uh, might be described as an advice factory. Even uh, places like Instagram are becoming little advice centres. Mums may know, follow the people that you like, get a little blurb after the post about how to do it. Uh, Facebook, YouTube videos full of all kinds of advice on how to to do this or that. Twitter telling you uh, line by line wise sayings about how to uh, live in the world and what the world's like. Uh, life hack websites, or maybe it's just conversations with one another. How often are we telling each other what the world is like and how to live in it? How often are we looking for somebody to give us a little bit of extra insight into what the world is like and how to live in it? This situation that I'm in, is that normal? This thing that I'm encountering, what on earth do I do there? But do we spot the drip feed, the way that these instructions, do we spot the way that they come in and form our thinking? Let's take a note of some of them. Don't judge. Take care of yourself. I'm sure everything will work out okay. You see, the thing about sayings are, they tell us what the world is like and how to live in it. Uh, As an example, uh, we have this saying, follow your heart. That's telling us something about the world. It's telling us that there is such a thing as a heart, whatever that is. And it's saying, that thing is a reliable guide. Follow it. So a simple statement, follow your heart, is telling us something about the world and about how to live in it. Now, I think that all of this together means that Proverbs is going to be a very timely book for us. Look what it says in verse 2. For gaining wisdom and instruction for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behaviour, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion uh, to the young. Proverbs tells us right at the start here that its aim is to deliver on that desire for instruction. Now, just for the purposes of today... I'm going to fly over a few introductory matters because I want to get stuck into three things in particular this morning. Uh, The first will be how Proverbs works. The second will be where knowledge begins. And the third will be an appeal to get wisdom. So that's how Proverbs works. That's what we'll think about first. Then we'll think about where knowledge begins. And then we'll think about uh, an appeal to wisdom. So just a couple of introductory remarks. The first is that we're going to be in Proverbs for six weeks. 
And I think that if we give ourselves to it, it can be transformative. Uh, the bulk of the book is made up of two-liner wise sayings. I'm probably telling you things that most of you are already well aware of. An example being, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. We can't explore all the, way that the, all the ways that the poetry works this morning, um, but the feature of the two lines that is common amongst them, the idea is that you work out how the two lines relate. The two lines will be related somehow, uh, and then it's our job to, as we ponder to meditate upon them. So in this case, lazy hands make for poverty. The, the comparison is diligent hands bring wealth. And so you can see how the two lines work together. Now, many proverbs in working out how they work is going to require patience and time. In some ways, uh, it's a, uh, proverbs is a little bit like shot over. What do I mean? A little while ago, sitting down for a picnic with John and Louise, and after a while, we started to realise that we were, we were surrounded by a hive of activity. Just as we sat, still and eating, next thing, oh, there are butterflies everywhere. Ants, spiders, all kinds of birds. Oh, look, there's a bird just over there. As we slowed down, sat still, we realised that all around us was a world of activity. Proverbs is going to be a little bit like that. Slow down, chill out, meditate. Chapters 1 to 9 are a little bit different. So structurally, chapters 1 to 9 can be read in one block. So do feel free just to jump in, chapter 1, right through to 9. And the point there is to encourage us to get wisdom. And chapter 31, likewise, is more of a discourse. So that is a little summary of... Uh, little quick snapshot of Proverbs as a whole, uh, and that's where we're going in the next few weeks. And the purpose is to make us wise. But the question that I want to focus in on primarily this morning, well, one of the main areas this morning, is how. How does Proverbs make us wise? And I think that, uh, I've already mentioned it a couple of times, uh, the way that Proverbs works is that it, it is worldview forming. That sounds a little bit jargony. Don't worry. It basically forms, it shapes how we think about the world. As I've said, I've already said it, it tells us the type of world that we're in and how to live in that world. And the reason why Proverbs is important for us is because it shapes a biblical worldview. And that is going to be so, so, so important for us. As I said earlier, all the advice that we get tells us about different realms. I've mentioned the heart already, the follow your heart, but lots of things that people, lots of advice that we're given assumes stuff about the world that we're in. It assumes things about God. Is there a God or isn't there one? Uh, is he an active God or is he not an active God? Is he a God who speaks or is he a God who's silent? Is he a God who cares or is he a God who's indifferent? Our advice piles up and creates a, uh, creates a world in which there is or isn't a God and he is or isn't like this. Uh, it tells us about people. What are people like? Are they good? Are they bad? Are they neutral? Are uh, the collection of sayings pile up and enough sayings about following your heart will start, get you to start thinking people are actually quite good 
uh, actually incredibly reliable guides. In fact, everybody's doing the right thing almost all of the time as they follow their hearts. It tells us about priorities. Uh, lots of things they tell us whether what's more important. Families, food, money, sex. Uh, it goes on and on. Sometimes it will just tell us that everything is equal. Lots and lots of advice is coming our way and we may or may not notice it, but it's smuggling in a worldview for us. It's smuggling in and shaping the way that we think about the world that we're in and how we're supposed to live in it. But a key question is, is your worldview biblical? Is the advice that you're given biblical? Are you able to spot advice, whether or not it matches the world of the Bible? Where does your knowledge come from? And so I think, again, Proverbs is going to be really, really important and key for us so that uh, when we are looking for advice in any given situation, we are able to, say, we are able to see within that advice what is the world that this advice is assuming and how is it telling me, therefore, to act and does it match up with the world that Proverbs instructed me about? So let's just think a little bit about the worldview that Proverbs creates. First, the world, it tells you about the world that you're in. Here's just a couple. We could, we could riff for ages, and I, I wish I could. Uh, it tells us that the Lord is governing the world. Here's an example. The lot, or the dice, is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. That tells you something about the Lord and the way that he relates to the world and the events in it. It tells you that the Lord is a creator. An example is, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. It tells you that people are made. They have a maker and he cares how you relate to them. It tells you that you live in a moral world. A false weight is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Can you see how this is happening? It tells you that you're in a world that's moral. It tells you that this Lord, who is the governor and the creator, also cares morally about things. Things are not just neutral and things are not simply relative. Some things are an abomination, some things are his delight. It tells you that you're in a world that's full of beauty. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. It tells you that there is a sweetness to be had in the world. It also tells us that we live in a fallen world. Just look at chapter 1, verse 10. You've got your Bibles there, you can look with me. It says... My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. Can you see that this is shaping a world? It's telling you that there are sinful men in the world. It's telling you the instruction implies that you can be tempted to follow them. 
Proverbs starts to create a worldview where you start to see we live in a fallen world. It's not just a world where everybody is nice and everybody is going to get along. Look at 1 verse 11, it tells you that there's injustice in the world. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood, let's ambush some harmless soul, etc., etc. There are sinful people in the world committing injustice. It tells you we live in an unjust world. Secondly, Proverbs starts to shape the world, uh, our thinking, by telling us how the world works. An example, uh, one that I've already mentioned, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. It's telling you, in generally speaking, that actions have consequences. That's the kind of world that we live in. If you are lazy, generally speaking, it makes for poverty. If you are diligent, generally speaking, it makes for wealth. Many of us, it's too easy to to start to think, particularly in a world where we've got so many uh, pillows all around us, that we can just kind of waffle on through and somebody's going to catch us, somebody's going to protect us. Hold on a second. How come I'm all of a sudden in trouble? Wasn't somebody there to catch me for this? I know that that's how I I certainly feel that way all of a sudden. I think, oh, right, I have to, I, I do have to pay the bills. Things happen. That's the world that we live in. Proverbs tells us, yes, that's right, and it creates a world in which we embrace that. It creates a world, it says, this is a world that works with uh, responsibility and effort. It also, Proverbs also tells us the type of people who succeed and the type of people who fail. An example, those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Gives us two types of people. Tells us some of them will fall and some of them will thrive like a green leaf. Distinguished by whether they trust in riches or are righteous. But... There's something else that Proverbs does, and this is critically important, and that is the diagnostic nature of the book of Proverbs. Listen to this. The wise in heart accept commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. Let's just think about that again. The wise in heart accept commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. Note, it doesn't say, be wise by accepting commands and stop chattering so you don't come to ruin. You see that? Sure, if you think to yourself, I want to be wise and I want to do well, I better start accepting commands and stop chattering. But the way that it's phrased is simply, it's just an analysis of the world. It's just telling you something. The wise in heart accept commands and a chattering fool comes to ruin. Which are you? 
You see, I think as we read Proverbs, we notice that there is a, a strong focus on the heart and a strong focus on the connection between the state of your heart and the life and the words that you speak. And so Proverbs becomes a bit unsettling. Proverbs tells us, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs, with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And I think that this is really important about Proverbs as we read it, is that an honest reading, as we do an honest reading of Proverbs, we start to recognize its diagnostic effect, and we start to think to ourselves, too many times am I finding that I'm the fool. Too often am I finding that I'm too close to the wicked one. And so Proverbs starts to have this cumulative effect of building up a sense of, uh-oh, as we see that the fool is related to the wicked. There aren't four types of people in Proverbs. There are two. There is the wicked fool and the wise, righteous person. And as that, that cumulative reading, we start to realize, how many times do I have to land in this category before this is starting to be how I define, start to think of myself? This is one of the things, actually, that led me to Jesus. I thought that I was going to get wise uh, and be able to impress my mates and impress more girls by reading Proverbs and being like Solomon. But I started to realize, man, Proverbs speaks a lot about wicked people, and I'm doing the stuff that Proverbs says is wicked. So Proverbs creates a worldview, and this is how Proverbs leads us to Jesus, one of the ways. By creating a worldview in which we need a saviour. We find ourselves the fool and we find that our hearts need rest. So beware, I think, a purely moralistic reading of Proverbs. Because Proverbs convicts. But does that mean that Proverbs then has nothing to say to how we live? And I don't think that's right either. Uh, I think it still gives us instruction but I think Proverbs is not anti-gospel because changing the way that we live and grace-empowered effort is not legalism. We should apply Proverbs, we should read the Proverbs and we should think, yes, I'm going to live that. And that's not legalism. Legalism is thinking that we can, that by our works, we will attain righteousness with the Lord. But the New Testament tells us plenty of times to walk in a way that's pleasing to the Lord, to do so more and more, and to live in a way that's fully pleasing in his sight. Proverbs helps us to do that. So we should rejoice at the book of Proverbs and say, yes. In fact, the heart that is moved by the gospel should read Proverbs and go, yes. Instruction on how to live and be wise and be fully pleasing to the Lord. The knee-jerk reaction that goes, oh, sounds a bit worksy, has missed 
uh, the goodness of the Lord's commands, of his ways, and of what it means to live and follow Jesus. Live for and follow Jesus. Now, that's, all that said, how is Proverbs different from Confucius or, uh, who else, Gandhi uh, or, I don't know, what's that bloke's name? On, t- on TV, he's, he's one of these popular TV characters. Forget about it, I don't have a TV. <laughs> They're out there, they'll come and go. What's different about Proverbs to all the rest of those wise, wise sayings, right? I think there are two. The one is that this collection of wise sayings has been authorised by the Lord. And this is massive. Why does that matter? One is because it creates the correct worldview. Right? If what I've been saying is correct about what Proverbs does for us, is it's critical that we read Proverbs and that we read all of them not just the few that we like, so that our worldview gets created correctly. So this collection of wise sayings has been authorised by the Lord, and so read them all. That's what distinguishes them. But the secondary uh, thing that sets these proverbs apart is that it sets wisdom as a whole in the context of relationship with the Lord. And so this is where we have chapter 1, verse 7 here that we've read this morning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. It's saying that the beginning of knowledge is about having a heart in the right posture. The right posture towards the Lord. And recognising the right source of wisdom. It says that the Lord is the centre and defines knowledge and that without the fear of the Lord there is no true knowledge. It orients all of our knowledge around the Lord. We really, really need to do that. Many things that we get wrong is because we haven't oriented our knowledge around the Lord. But notice how it says the Lord. It doesn't say the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. It is the fear of the Lord that's the the beginning of knowledge. Now why might that matter? Because the Lord is the only true God amongst a world of false gods. There are many other gods on offer And wisdom, ultimately, is a religious thing. Wisdom's about allegiance to, uh, uh, expresses itself in allegiance to a particular God. And Proverbs says that the fear of this particular God is the beginning of knowledge. The God who is the Lord, the God who is the God of the Bible, the God who is uh, the God of Israel. So what does it mean to have the fear of the Lord? Well, I think that it's more than reverence. It didn't get translated reverence. 
got translated fear. But it's less than horror. It's the opposite of despising. You see here, but fools despise wisdom and knowledge. And therefore, it's probably more esteeming, honoring. The fear of the Lord is a posture of radical humility. The fear of the Lord recognizes the unfathomable power of the Lord and trembles. It's a recognition of the Lord being the only true source of all things. And therefore, it's a posture of absolute dependence on the Lord. It's also a posture of full confidence. The fear of the Lord says, the Lord is the only answer. The fear of the Lord is a heart that is lowly and under the Lord, not proud. The fear of the Lord is a recognition of the holiness and purity of the Lord. And because it is the Lord, it is a recognition of past acts and promises kept. The name itself in Israel brings up, this is our God. The fear of this God, the God who brought us out of Egypt, the God who made promises to Abraham, the God who kept his promises to Abraham. The God who brought us into the land, the God who drove out our enemies, the God who has blessed us, the God who has been gracious to us. And therefore, the fear of the Lord sets the hearer in the context of the story of the Lord and orients all of its knowledge around him and locates it within that story. And for Israel, this meant their covenant God. And they would have expressed it in commitment to the terms of the covenant. For us, the Lord is the same God, but he's revealed more of himself. And it expresses itself in faith and allegiance to Jesus. And so it's the same posture, but it's couched in a new security in Jesus. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and it means having a whole it means having a world oriented around Jesus. The diagnostic doesn't go away but it doesn't crush. And it means that Jesus shapes wisdom as well. Proverbs is set therefore not just within the context of the life of Israel but it's shaped by the cross and resurrection as well. And so finally, the last thing to say this morning as we kind of launch out on this um, series in Proverbs is to summarize what chapters 1 to 9 try to do to you. And I'm going to try to do it now. Proverbs 1 to 9 appeals to you to get wisdom. Listen to these words. 
my son, this is chapter 2, verse 1, if you accept my words, and I'm just going to draw out a few things as we go, accept my words, embrace them, trust the Lord in his goodness, accept my words, and store up my commands within you. Get more. Turn in your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Apply your heart to it. Give yourself to it. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, pray, call out. You desperately need wisdom. You're looking everywhere for wisdom. You're already doing it in all kinds of avenues. Go to the Lord. Get your wisdom from the Lord. Let him give you the answers that you need. Let him shape your mind and shape your heart. Turn to him. Cry aloud. Spend yourself to get wisdom. And if you look for it as for... If indeed you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, are you searching for it, Magdalen Road? Are you searching for wisdom? Are you hungry for insight? Are you thirsting after the Lord? Do you long to know him, to know his ways? Search for it. If you search for it as for silver, search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. The Lord gives wisdom. Let's seek wisdom, Magdalen Road. Let's search for it more than money. How much effort do you put in to getting money or other forms of knowledge? How oriented is that knowledge around the Lord? Do everything you can to get biblical, godly wisdom and instruction. Give up everything in your life to know Jesus. And for the next six weeks, here is a way to perhaps do it. Some mathematics. There are 46 days left between now and the end of the series in Proverbs. That's including a few days in the week after the last sermon. If you take chapters 1 to 9 as one unit, you're left with 23 other chapters. Let's call them one unit each. That's a total of 23 units, right? 22 kind of blocks of Proverbs and 1 to 9 taken as a whole. That's 23 units. Let's say that's 23 days. 23 times 2 is 46. I got a smile out of John. It's maths. 23 times 2 is 46. That means... You could read, if you take chapters 1 to 9 as one block and you do one chapter each per day, 
you'll be able to get through Proverbs twice in the, by the time the series is finished. Now, if you don't have a plan for how you're reading the Bible at the moment, why not jump on that plan and go, yeah, not a bad idea, pretty good idea to get my worldview shaped by the Lord. Yes, I am spending heaps of time on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, television, whatever else it might be. Why not invest the summer in letting Proverbs shape your mind and shape your heart and point you to the Lord? Each chapter has about 30 verses. That means, I'm going to go big, but I know you can do it. You'll easily spend this much time on something else. Two minutes, a line. Read the, read the proverb, chill, think. What is this proverb doing? Where am I at? How does it apply to me? Read a proverb, chill. Have a think. What's going on here? How does this apply to me? Give yourself one hour, 46 days, and tell me if it doesn't bear fruit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you've given us uh, the book of Proverbs. Thank you so much that though we find ourselves often to be the, uh, the fool and wicked, we thank you for Jesus, uh, the righteous, wise man who gave up his life uh, so that we could have the riches of him as our treasure and wisdom. Please help us as we read Proverbs to uh, expand our knowledge, our understanding, so that we might live lives that are fully pleasing to you, walking in a manner worthy of Jesus. Amen.